This episode is brought to you by Just Egg. It's a better egg made from plants. Bring more customers in your doors with Just Egg. Start with a free sample at ju.st slash hrn. This episode is brought to you by Tuk Tuk Box. Sharing Southeast Asian stories at your doorstep. Learn more at tuktukbox.com. That's T-U-K-T-U-K-Box.com. This week on Meet and 3, we dedicate our stories to elders, grandparents, and family members who came before us. Some people called on the phone. What time is your appointment? Mine's 2.45. Our friend, the dentist, he, he was 3.30. And it was like a social event. It's a small island. A lot of them I knew when I was a kid. So it was, you know, to really help them feel like they they weren't alone. It's partly this communal nature of food, and so it can operate as a bridge, um, not just between neighbors and friends, but also between the living and the dead. Listen to Meet in 3 wherever you get your podcasts. Cooking Issues, this is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live! I'm actually in Stanford, actually, right now. I'm in Stanford, in the house of Nastasi the Hammer Lopez. How you doing, Stas? Good, how are you? Uh, I'm okay, I'm okay. Yeah, we're vaccinated, so uh, we're good. John is downstairs. How you doing? Doing great. Yeah, he's downstairs. We've uh, relegated him to downstairs because uh, he had to bring... Uh, so he has a dog named Koji. Oh, we have Matt in Rhode Island. Yeah, uh, John has a dog named Koji for the, uh, it's the second Japanese-based K-dog name, Japanese food K-dog name that I know of during the, the pandemic, but he didn't want to leave leave uh, Koji alone, so Koji is downstairs because at Nastasia's house, there's like like a lighthouse person's stairs that you have to go up, and the dog was like, nah, nah, not going up, not going up, right? Is that pretty much accurate, John? It's very accurate, yes. So it's not that we're making you stay downstairs like like at a kid's table at Thanksgiving. It's that, did you have a kid's table at Thanksgiving when you were growing up? Yeah, I did. Did you like the kid's table or hate the kid's table? I liked the kid's table because I didn't have to speak with the adults. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. I was. Uh, I grew up until I was much older, only child, so I didn't have a kid's table. I was like, you know, I was always with the adults, but I, I always dealt better with adults anyway than with uh, people my own age, which is weird because now I don't deal well with adults. <laughs> uh matt how's uh, rhode island treating you these days uh things are things are good i'm uh-huh. very excited that all the flowers are popping off you know yeah happy yeah. days oh, we could talk about that later but uh right now most importantly we have a special guest today we have uh so you might rem- well you know him from what he- we have frankie salenzas here at frankie cooks uh, you could uh, check uh, Struggle Meals on Taste Made, but listeners of this show who didn't already know him know him as the person that roped John into cooking for Novak Djokovic when he was doing the U.S. Open. How you doing, Frankie? I'm doing great. This is uh, this is true. John and I did do that. Yeah. Yeah, and so like as someone who actually likes to cook, like what was it like to be like, how's about everything is room temperature with no salt? Yeah. Well, it's actually. This is the third year I've done that for him, but this year was particularly hard, obviously, with the pandemic. So John was a big, big relief because not only were we cooking for Novak and his team, all of whom who have different diets, we were also cooking for uh, like Novak's host family, nine other people. 
So we were basically a full-time restaurant for uh, 25 days or something because it was a week of quarantine going into the Cincinnati Open, which was in New York, going into the week leading up to the U.S. Open, going into the U.S. Open up until the point when he hit the lineswoman in the throat with the ball by accident and got disqualified. You know, now, how did that... Is, <laughs> if he had hit her in the throat during the course of normal play, it would have been fine, right? That's yeah, on it was her. it was out of frustration, yeah. Yeah. If it were like, if it, if it deflected off his racket, actually that happened in his next tournament, and obviously that's fine because that's... That's an accident. But if you're frustrated and you're just whacking a ball without looking and it unfortunately collides with another atom causing irreparable harm. Wait, wait, wait. wait. So, so but he, he hit someone in the throat in the next tournament, but it was cool? Yeah, because he was like going for the ball in the middle of the point. Sure he was. He hates this that line. Been... He hates that person. He's, he's like a pitcher pushing people back. He's pushing them off oh. the – back off that line. Boom, in the throat. I, I, I feel bad for him. I mean – I really do. You know, he's was it was it on a serve? Was it one of those like hundred mile an hour serves right in someone's throat? No, no, it was Ooh. just like oh darn, I missed the point, and then I he just like whacked a ball underhand without looking, and uh, it just unfortunately hit this woman right in the Adam's apple. No, I mean, well, that's hilarious, but I mean, no, the next tournament when he did it, when he clearly oh, no, did it, was it like, on it was purpose, someone hit like a, a really wide ball, and he's like running for the forehand and doing his infamous Gumby reach and then it like hit the outer edge of the frame which is not hitting the strings and then shot off on a 45 degree angle instead of bouncing back you know and then that hit the person in the face speaking of Gumby uh are you familiar with how thin Gumby's arms are well I mean I assume they get longer as they stretch out too but they're but they're thin in general so Nastasia and I are trying to angle for a weak emoji and I imagine that it's kind of like a Gumby arm bent in the strong position but weak I have a a prototype of the in case anyone's interested I have a prototype of the weak emoji but like there's well, no way the strong emoji is what the strong emoji is just like a bicep yeah, yeah. like well it's the it's the fist and the bicep but like with a very pronounced elbow and like you know the person has also like decent forearm definition but it's mostly about the the bicep so I have a prototype of the of the weak emoji, which is the same motion, but weak. What do you think? Yeah, no definition. Sounds good. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. I mean, Not isn't there good. a need for it? I mean, I feel like Nastasia and I say weak almost as much as we say strong. And when the strong, whenever I type strong, it's like, how about just bicep? I'm like, okay, bicep, bicep. But like <laughs> when I type weak, it just just says weak, which is weak. Weak. Definitely. Who do you submit a new emoji to? Who governs? What's the governing body for emoji? I don't know. Oh, I'm helping out with food emojis right now. It's a pretty crazy process. It takes like two or three years to get it done. It's like some internet governing body. Uh, where's that? But what about it's like probably... a... There's a need for this. This is overlooked. It takes them 20 seconds when they want to change an emoji, when they figure out that an emoji is offensive and they want to change it. It takes them 20 seconds, but it takes them like two years to make like a, a slice of pizza. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Is the standard emoji, since you're clearly the expert, John, on this, is the standard pizza emoji a pepperoni or a plain slice? I don't know. There is some variance between the different operating systems, like between Samsung and Apple, and then Google has their own. So there's like a little room for personality. But I know like a lot of the factors that go into the decision making is like, is it similar looking enough to other foods um, that increases the chances of its being accepted? 
they're also doing a big push for- What, they want it to look similar? Yeah, so that it can, you know, sort of be interchangeable. So it can have multiple meanings, not just the one. You're like, uh, no, no, that was, that wasn't, so it's plain pizza. That, that was actually a key lime pie. No, it's pepperoni. It, well, that's good because pepperoni makes it into a pizza. Otherwise, it could be a slice of anything. It could be a slice of anything. It's true. It's but true. now apparently what John is telling me is that they want it to be a slice of anything. Ooh, it's quiche. No, it's pizza. You know it's, what I mean? It would just be funny if like the people of the Naples Vera Pizza Napolitana like came along and said, it is offensive that you're using this abomination of a pizza slice, uh, the one from New York, which is uh, fast food and ours is tradition and you must change it immediately. Of course, it's funny that you co- that, that they would make fun of fast food considering that there's cooks, cooks in quotes. I'm putting cooks in air quotes 90 here. 90 seconds. 90 seconds, yeah. Cooks, yeah. quote unquote. Let me ask you a question. I like... Neapolitan style pizza. It is not a replacement for pizza, though. Yeah. Right. It's not oh, a replacement listen, for I, pizza. I'm, Dave, I think we can agree. Like we're in this world of it's really hard to say what the best is. There's just a lot of variety, and I think that's a win for everyone. Yeah, I mean, there there are bad things. That is true. Like this, oh, yeah. people. Like, I don't believe in the best, but I do believe in the worst. There are things that are just bad. Doesn't mean mm. they, just because there's no right answer doesn't mean there aren't wrong answers. I, I can get on board with that for sure. Yeah. Now, uh, okay, so the reason uh, that we uh, have you on is that uh, John thought you might enjoy discussing, uh, we're, we're talking about, and it, this fits in with, I guess, with, with struggle meals and a lot of stuff you've been working on during the pandemic where you've been doing a lot of uh, kind of lower cost uh, fun meals for people to do. Is it, would you say that's accurate? Is that an accurate pitch? Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. So uh, uh, we thought that, you know, you might be a good person to talk about about starting a battery to cuisine. Oh, say, say it, say it in uh, super French, there, John. Say that what? Battery to cuisine. Say it in super French. Battery de cuisine. Oh yeah, wait one more time. Battery de cuisine. Battery de cuisine. Yeah, uh, you know, can you say it like you're a a seventy five year old Frenchman? <laughs> what? Battery de cuisine <laughs> like that? No, you had to be more like. Put more pain in your voice. Yeah, Come on. Yeah. Come on, man. Uh, battery de cuisine. Uh, better, 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 better. Nice. All right. Uh, look, John, you know, did you sign up for it? You sign up for it. This is what you get. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, as we say in my this family, my job. Yep. you get what you get. You don't get upset. Um, so we're going to talk about that, but I figured maybe we rip through some... Um, you want to try to rip through some questions yeah. just so people don't get pissed? Yeah. Wait, wait, you, before you do questions, oh, yeah, yeah. can I just interrupt one second and just tell you, uh, I took a, an FCI class with you something like 10 years ago Oof. on uh, at low temp and sous vide. Uh, I think it was over a three-day weekend. It was, yeah. it, it was so insightful. You, ha- you had prototypes of Sears all. It wasn't quite out yet. Oh, wow. I still have my uh, very original uh, run, by the way. It's running great. It's still on the original screen. But I just want to remind you of something that happened I thought was so funny. There was a woman from the health department there, and you had all these different sous vide eggs at like half a centigrade different uh, temperatures going up to show us the difference of how the yolks set. But then you also said, you know, over time, you kill the bacteria and prevent the uh, the food uh, foodborne illnesses. But she, she kept sticking her thermometer and being like, it's not 80 degrees Celsius. So therefore it's and you're like, but it's been in the bath for an hour and a half. And that kills off. And she just kept poking. And you're like, it's physically impossible for it to be 80 if we're sous vide at 64 or 55 <laughs> or whatever. 
And it was just really funny to watch that. Like, and everyone in the class became really annoyed with this woman whose thermometer was saying exactly the temperature of your polyscience circulator every well, single time. It's very interesting to hear the flip side, uh, uh, like the, from the, the, the student guest perspective on that, because when you're teaching those kinds of classes, and Nastasia used to get real mad at me. She's like, why don't you just... Oh, so sorry. Uh, family show. I had to bleep myself. <laughs> I was thinking. I was thinking in Nastasia mode. She's. Uh, she's like, why don't you just, you know, tell them to screw off? And I'm like, I can't. Was she a student or was she the health department? No, she was a student. No, paying students. Well, the city, New York City, was paying for her to go. Actually, no, she was not New York. She was somewhere, someone else's health department. I don't remember exactly what, but she was a. Uh, I forget what the name of it is, but like a, a validator, like a process validator and health department person. Yeah, and she just wasn't, she wasn't bending her mind around what we were, what we were dealing with. Um, oh God, I remember that. But that you, uh, you weren't the the one where the last day of class I, I was food poisoned, were you? That was the best no. class I ever taught because, oh my like, God. I was, uh, I I had been. See, this is what I'm saying. Like, this is what people I think like. This is this is where I think people need to be. There's there's things that you can say I don't feel good and not do and of course if you're going to get someone else sick you should never do it but you're not going to get anyone else sick from food poisoning so I taught a class and it was a low temp sous vide class and it was the day we used to people so the way we would do it is we would have depending somewhere between like 12 and 20 people in this uh, sometimes more in this sous vide class this three-day intensive and so we needed to pump out like like we would have we're going to do short ribs. We don't do one short rib. It would be like we would do like five tastings, five different tastings where we're testing a different variable of short rib. And you'd have like four or five on each plate. And we would have to put those out like this out of a tiny kitchen to everyone. So we deep fried everything. Yep. And so like – but they didn't have a deep fryer. So they were doing it on pots on the stove so that the oil was getting hyper abused. So I was food poisoned. And I'm having to like teach and all of this like over overheated oil smell is like going like at me while I'm food poisoned. And every like break or when as soon as I could get one of the other teachers like Nils or Hervé or whatever to talk, I would go into the other room and throw up in a trash can and like rinse my mouth out and come back out. It was the worst. But that's what I'm saying. That's dedication, people. If you say you're going to do something, you do it. You know, I'm with you. I'm with you. All right, that was a great tangent. I loved it. Awesome. Yeah, yeah that was it was awesome, man. And you gave out these amazing books with like, oh, it was awesome. Anyway, thank yep. you. I'm a I'm a huge fan for a long time. Oh, thank. You. Well, that, you know, I have to say, like that class, like you know, it's a, now the school's closed. I think that class was good. People, I think, found it useful because you can't. The thing you can't do when you're cooking, right? Like when I mean cooking, I mean cooking professionally or even at home, right? Is you don't have the time to like run through all of the different iterations at the same time. No one does. And, right. e- you know, and even in a cooking school, unless you're uh, making a class for it, you don't have the time. So like the fact of doing that or uh, the fact uh, when you're writing a book, which Frankie, I hear people are pushing you to write a book. Are you actually writing a book? I, this is so cliche to say, but the proposal has been in the hands of the powers that be for almost a year at this point. So, you know, uh, proposals, man. Uh, you know, I remember the first time when the the FCI wanted me to write a book and I didn't want to write a book because Nathan Mirvold and Chris Young and all those guys were writing their book and so I didn't want to I didn't want to like dip my toes in that water. 
Yeah, so like they were like, you want to write a book? And then the person who I was writing the book, book proposal, she's like, could tell by the post, she's like, you don't want to write this book. Of course, what she didn't realize is I don't want to write any book. It took Maria Guarnaschelli, my editor, to beat the hell out of me and just scare me into writing a book. <laughs> you know, she literally, her eyeballs looking at you could make you do anything. Stas, how, how nerve-wracking was her look, her gaze? Yeah, she's the only person that scared you. Yeah. Oh, by the way, uh, I need to send this to, uh, to Alex. I was going through. So when you write your book, hopefully your editor will do the same thing. It was very nice. Maria sent me the very first copy of Liquid Intelligence, which became the bar copy at Booker and Dax, actually. I still have it. It's completely beaten up with like notes in the margins and everything. All the bartenders used it at BDX. And she sent me, a, like she wrote on, uh, she didn't used to like to write in the book, so she put her business card with, here it is, it's beautiful, congratulations on it. I just found it the other day. It was still in the book. I'm going to take a picture of that, put it out. All right, all right, all right. Let's get to what we're going to, you want, wait, so should we answer some questions you said, Stas? Yes. All right. Oh, before we answer questions, sorry, more tangents. I hear you live close to one of the Leatherman caves, Frankie. One of the who? Wait, John made this up? Letterman? So, Letterman. Letterman. So, Frankie, you just moved to a place in in Westchester, right? Whoa, 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 whoa! Wait, so you don't know about the Leatherman? You moved he on to the Leatherman not. loop, and you don't know about the Leatherman? Yeah, all right, the Leatherman. All right, when you're back, because you're you're filming, you want to talk about what you're filming now, or you don't want to talk about what you're filming? Secret. Uh, secret. I mean, we're we're filming a like a one-off uh, branded struggle meals thing tomorrow. I'm in California right now. I'll be here. Well, I got here yesterday, and I'm leaving the day after tomorrow. Cool. Uh, and then I'm and then I'm back to unpacking bags. Yeah. So listen. So listen. So the Leatherman. Every people like people who know me know that if it wasn't for the fact that I had a family, I would live the life of the Leatherman who walked a loop every what was it thirty two days? Does mm-hmm. 27, 32 days? Something like this. He walked a loop basically from like uh, Stanford around up to i think he made it this far south no, in new haven too I think. well in new haven no but in other words like it's a loop so you can start anywhere on the loop I went yeah 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 was well, okay we'll start where near where you are Briarcliff is the cave the famous leatherman cave i think which is closest to where he died then he would go up over near pound ridge up over the border up all the way almost to middletown over to the connecticut river down through where i used to be in chester all the way down, over past Saybrook, up through New Haven, and then I forget where he connected through. I thought maybe he made it through Stanford. Anyway, he just walked this loop, and he was clothed in uh, clothing that he had sewn out of old discarded leather boots, hence the leather man. And uh, yeah, that was his whole life, and that's the way I would be living if, it, if I didn't have a family. So, you know, there but for my family, I go. So you need to, and interestingly, they're called Leatherman Caves uh, because this is where he used to live. And then they're dotted. Like there used to be one in Chester, there's, but the, there's a famous one in Briarcliff. They're not really caves. Do you know, I don't know if you know this, if you just moved to the area, but there are no actual caves in this area. They're all just like rocks piled up against each other. So you don't, oh. we don't have real caves. Well, I'll keep my eyes peeled. I'm, yeah. uh, they have a yeah, run. Of the Leatherman run. <laughs> they, they have a Leatherman run? Yeah, How long does the Leatherman run in, take? In March. I don't know. I'm like five days? Was it an ultra marathon? marathon? Yeah. I'm not a, I don't know if you know this, Stas, but uh, I don't really have the body of an ultra marathoner <laughs> no. or the desire. My knees would be like, what? You want to do what? I don't know. Um, Frankie, you an ultra marathoner? I, I ran the New York City Marathon a few years ago. Yeah? Just to say you it could was- or no? 
because uh, I used to be like an endurance cyclist and I just thought, let me give this a try. Um, I took Advil right before the 59th Street Bridge. That really helped. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. And then I was right. sick for like two weeks. It's definitely not good for the body. No, I mean, it's good if that's what you're good at. I mean, there's some people who they could just run all the time. It doesn't matter. Like, they're, they're, mm-hmm. they, weigh, they weigh, like, one half of one pound. Like, their joints are used to it. Like, you know, <laughs> it's just like, you know, it's for them, it's walking. Anyway, wait, Nastat, I, I can't see. I, oh, really? Oh, that, I, don't, I know the circuit, but I'm asking okay. how long the pe- do they, people run the whole thing? No, it's a shortened one. Week. Yeah. We need that, we need yeah. that emoji. <laughs> week, week. Yes, yeah, so I was just going to say, I was a little behind there. I mean, here's God, the thing. What? Here's the thing. If you're the leather, if you're doing the leather man, do the leather man. Don't be like, I'm walking like, it's like, it's like, I don't know. It's just intensely weak. Like, like you got to commit either leather man or not leather man. All right. Yeah. Uh, All right. So Adam Souza. Okay. Adam Souza wrote in from Portland, Maine, trying to acquire a Rotovap for my cocktail bar and was wondering if you had any recommendations as far as brand size, etc. I'm pretty new to the Rotovap world, and I'm a little overwhelmed. I appreciate any help you can offer. Cheers, Adam Souza. All right, real talk, Adam. Uh, if you're the owner of the bar, then, like, the, the, the problem with it is this. The maximum amount of product you're going to get out of a Rotovap is about a liter an hour. I just want you to think about that for a minute. You're going to get a liter an hour. It's going to cost you – I haven't used any of the inexpensive new ones. So if someone wants to send us a new, like, super cheap Rotovap, the only Rotovaps that I've used are either the ones I've built myself, which I wouldn't recommend using, or the really expensive ones, the cheaper ones that I have used that are made by, like, IKA or Ika. I would not wish those on my worst enemy. We flew once to uh, England. Remember this, Nastasia? We flew to England. First class, by the way. Uh, they flew – or business, business. They flew us business to uh, do a, roto, rotary evaporate dem, uh, a rotary evaporator demonstration. And when we showed up, even though they had spent untold zillions of dollars setting this whole thing up, they had purchased a what to me was a crappy budget uh, rotovap because – are you ready for it? It was blue. Literally, they bought it because it was blue and it was therefore on brand. And it was the worst rotovap I've ever used in my life because – Ika, I-K-A. Because if, if, if it doesn't seal, you know, then you have to throw it away. It didn't seal properly. That, that was the issue. Um, so it's very hard. If you want to have it just to have it and you want to use it, like bars who put it into their programs, they need to budget a lot of money and staff time towards running it or else like have people that want to run it for free or, or whatever. Another thing you can do is is use products that don't take very much time to make, but it's a, it's a big time commitment, not to mention illegal, doing uh, alcohol-based distillations and water-based distillations ain't worth spit. Uh, well, I'm not saying that. I mean, I am saying that. I'm being unfair. Uh, but you also need a really good chiller. So, um, I mean, maybe I should start looking into it again. I think a lot of people have come out with less expensive rotovaps. If I was going to do it now and you didn't want to have it be totally, have someone looking at it all the time, I would, and you had, I mean, maybe you're rich. Let's just assume you're extremely rich. Then uh, get the ones that have auto distillation based on temperature differential with an anti-foaming thing. And then all of a sudden, rotovapping is a lot easier. But of course, your pocketbook's a lot lighter. All right. Is that enough on rotovap, people? We good? Yes. We good? Yes. We good? All right. One more, and then we're going to get into what what we got Frankie here for. Uh, Maybe two more. Martin Schwab wrote in, and I have something to say about this. Uh, Low temp steak. Pan fry, then oven, or inverse, what's better, 
and why? Greetings from Vienna, Austria. Uh, love good work. Keep it up. Love Vienna. Do you know the next trip I take to Europe, I'm thinking I want to fly into Vienna and then maybe do the Eastern European thing. Because mm-hmm. Vienna is so awesome. I mean, I think we can all agree Vienna is awesome. Mm-hmm. But I've never been to Dave, Eastern Dave, Europe. Dave, this question was exactly something that you touched on in the low temp sous vide class. Because you did sear before, then low temp. Don't sear low temp and sear after. And you did before and after. That's right. We did them all. And I think and that's I, I, the answer. I like how you say, though, before and after. There's no such thing as inverse. I don't know. I mean, I know where it started. But, like, like who, who wrote that there was a way to do it such that – because since before anyone here was born, some people have put their roasts into the oven on high and then lowered it and ridden them out. And some people have put their, their roasts in the oven on low and then cranked it at the end. Since time – Immemorial. Since for free king ever. This is how people have chosen one way or the other. It's a before or an after. Now it is true that in a restaurant, when you do a steak, it was always high freaking, high freaking heat. And then you throw it in that oven to ride out until it's done. We all know this, except for the fact that really what happens is this. You, you sear off a boat ton of those suckers before service and then just have them festering on a rack somewhere where it stays mildly warm for a while until it's time to throw it in the oven to bring it up to temp. We all know that's how it happens. Am I, am I right, John? Am I right? Yes. Yeah, that's how it works. Unless you're a steakhouse. Unless you're a steakhouse. Um, anyways, um, so... Let's just talk about not let's not talk about this as inverse or not inverse. Let's talk about before or after. And the issue is this. If you sear beforehand and after, it will be the best. Right? Assuming that what you want to do is have the post-sear time be as short as possible because you'll be able to build an equivalent crust much faster if you have already seared it once before you try to sear it again. Does that make sense? Now, you could sear it for a boat ton longer at the end and get the same effect, but then you're in danger of overcooking. Since I'm a lazy person now, I typically do after only but... I now, as opposed to, Frankie, you might be interested in this, as opposed to the way I used to do it, I now drop the temperatures of my steaks and ride them at a low temperature. I take everything down to 50 for the last 45 minutes, and then I sear from 50. So I can stand a longer sear on a thicker steak now without uh, taking it over, and so it's not as important that I do the pre. Does that make sense? Yes. That's like a really, really interesting way of like sort of getting the benefits of cryo-frying without having that equipment and eliminating the gray ring, it seems. Well, yeah, so we've done tests on the cryo-frying. and it, like, like you're lowering the temperature at the end. So that- yeah, 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 and all the way through. And what it does is also, like, honestly, so you, you want to cook the stuff up. Here's the thing with, with, pro, with proteins, right? So, like, with, with the meat proteins, it's true that most of the what happens to the texture happens fairly quickly, Right. But if you, if you take a, a ribeye, let's say, up to, uh, you know, w- let's, say, let's say you're a 55 person, Celsius. So you take it up to 55. I like it to just touch 55, and then I like to drop it to 52 and ride. And it'll tenderize at 52, but it's not going to get that little bit tougher. You know what I mean? It'll look like a 55, so people won't be squeamish, and it will, um, 
and 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 it's and it won't be squidgy like like a fifty two like like a like a blue because like a lot of people like blue you know who likes blues Cesare Cesare Casella loves a blue steak he loves to ki- he loves to walk up stab his uh you know his uh Kianina cows in the throat yeah he sticks the knife right in the Kianina's throat bleeds that sucker out and then likes to throw that sucker on he's a, he's he's more of a eat guy am I right Stas eat. I think most of us don't like that squidgy raw meat action. He doesn't do that to restaurant people, but like to, for friends, when he's cooking for friends. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, so 55 and then drop down to 52 and let it ride. And then 50, then sear. I think that's the best way to do. Austria. Austria people, let me ask you this. Frankie, what do you think? John also, Nastasia is not going to care, although I would like to hear her opinion as well. I think there is great honor in traditional breadcrumbed schnitzels. They don't need to be panko. Not everything needs that crunchy panko nonsense. You can have a traditional Austrian schnitzel. Am I right? Yeah. Right. See, Nastasia agrees. Thank God. Thank you, Stas. Like, all I'm saying is, is that not everything needs to be hyper crunchy, people. Let people, let things be what they're going to be. I prefer schnitzel without that crunch because it's schnitzel. Because it's schnitzel. Because it's freaking schnitzel. I did not know you were going to be on board. I appreciate it. Hey, we're going to have Sears Rolls back, back in stock in a little bit. Are we allowed to talk about this? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. It's up to you. You're the, you're the person who gets to decide <laughs> well, whether I'm allowed to talk about it. I like how Nastasi's like, I think you could talk about it. They're being airshipped via China, and we will be selling them through another company. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> so, so, Okay. So Amazon.com is still, please stop sending us emails. I know we said this before, but please stop sending us emails about how, you know, I don't know. If you have a lawyer that you know that works there, that's helpful. But anything other than that? If you work at Amazon and you personally are good friends with the algorithm that is saying that we're selling a menstrual cup, <laughs> if, 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 you, then, you know, if that algorithm is your close personal friend and you can call that algorithm and be like, yo, will you just cut these guys a break? Please, we want to hear from guys. you. If you're, an, if you're an Amazon entrepreneur, please get in touch with Dave Arnold. Exactly. Otherwise, I know your intentions are good, but it's not going to be helpful. So what we're doing, we have a plan to finally get them back on Amazon, but that's like a four or five month problem, believe it or not. Uh, we're just going to sell these suckers on eBay. So the ones that are going to be on eBay soon and Nastasia's going to announce it, they're going to be delivered. We're trying to get that fast and free. We're going to try to keep it, um, where we, you know, Nastasia has a new delivery mechanism set up for you and they'll be available soon on the eBay. Uh, and you know, that's all we can say about that. Right, Stas? Yes, that's all we can say about that's that. That's all we can say about that. But soon, they're in the air right now, right? But we only have a limited quantity. So when you see them, grab them. Yeah. And then, you know, maybe in a month or two, we'll have more news. And we're, Who knows? We're going to announce it on our newsletter first. So you guys should sign up for the newsletter through the link in uh, the Instagram bios or, you know, bookerandax.com. It turns out, though, it is hard to it is hard to sustain a business when you haven't sold a single item since November. It's difficult. Anyway, weird, right? Is this uh, yeah. all related to the people that didn't burn off the uh, Sears all screen thing, and then Amazon? Is that what this yes. is about? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Ugh! What a what a disaster. I'm sorry, yeah. guys. And we really have not sold a, a single thing since November. Oh well, thanks. We haven't. Yes, we have not sold a single thing. December, I think, Dave. 
Really? Went out. The beginning of December. December yeah, okay. and then of course the uh, the fa- the factory in China still hasn't given us a date on Spinzol, so we're not selling that either. Literally, have not sold a single thing. Cocktail cubes are available. <laughs> Uh, hey, someone out there. Wait, so on. what did we agree on? Sear before and after? If you have the time, right? Otherwise or, drop. Or otherwise drop, drop the, the temperature. Yeah, drop the temperature and you can do a harder sear. Uh, hey, someone out there. Uh, why don't you make a fake safety complaint about the cocktail cube and then we can just really be complete. Yeah, if you want to take us down, totally. Yeah. I mean, again, if we sold every single cocktail cube, our profit would not buy us lunch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, have uh, the tennis player, what's his name? Lob, lob one, a cocktail cube. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, can you imagine? Throw that at somebody's throat? Oh my God, that'd be amazing. Oh my God. Ah, oh, geez, Louise. This episode is brought to you by Just Egg. You can't have plant based breakfast without a plant based egg. Just Egg is now the fastest growing egg brand in the United States. Bring more plant-based consumers in your doors with easy-to-use Just Egg. You can get started with a free sample. Just head to ju.st hrn. Made from plants, Just Egg is a better egg for you and for the planet. It's healthier, with no cholesterol and less saturated fat. And it's more sustainable. Just Egg uses less water and generates fewer carbon emissions. Most importantly, it's delicious. For our listeners who operate a food service establishment, you can get a sample for free. Head to ju.st slash hrn. Just Egg makes a delicious plant-based addition to any menu. It's available as a liquid scramble, great for omelets, frittatas, stir fries, and French toast. There's also frozen, pre-baked, folded version that's ideal for filling breakfast sandwiches or topping salads. Chef Jose Andreas calls Just Egg mind-blowing, and Bon Appetit says, It's so good, I feel guilty eating it. Put the fastest-growing egg brand on your menu. Get a free sample of Just Egg for your restaurant at ju.st hrn. This episode is brought to you by Tuk Tuk Box, a Southeast Asian woman-founded company with a mission to share Southeast Asian culture and experiences through food. They offer curated subscription boxes and products, partnering with vetted small business owners and local farmers from Southeast Asian communities. Their signature Southeast snack box is available in three funky levels, perfect for all palates. You can either purchase a one-time box or sign up for a monthly subscription. Tuk Tuk Box is sharing Southeast Asian stories at your doorstep. Get your first box at tuktukbox.com. That's T-U-K-T-U-K box.com. Hey, Frankie, unrelated question. Let's say I were to send you out to Shake Shack. Let's say you were order a bunch of Shake Shack stuff, and I asked you to not have secret sauce on one of the burgers, but the 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 burgers one of the burgers came back with sauce. Would it be appropriate for me to like break the entire kitchen and freak out, or not appropriate? No, I just eat it anyway. Right, right. I'm making fun because I know that you were in a situation which I will not say what it was, 
but like you had someone lose their mind on you because there was sauce on the burger. Is that not true? I'm not going to say who it was because that would be rude, but it's true, right? Uh, or you're not I've there for that one? Of, I've had a lot of unreasonable things where I'm like, really? I, I don't know what What's the most unreasonable thing? If that didn't strike a core, what's the most unreasonable thing that someone has lost their mind on you about? Uh, oh, it was an entire day. I was catering for something uh, like it was so freaking hot. This woman had an amazing kitchen and she made me work in the garage because she didn't want her guests to see me. There was no air conditioning oh, in the God. garage. I like set up a bunch of induction burners and, and circulators and I had my sears all and everything. And then she proceeded to take a bunch of mind altering, I'm assuming uh, anxiety drugs or whatever. And she just became more and more unreasonable. And then she put her brother-in-law in the kitchen with me so that he could do his famous something. I don't know what it was, chicken fingers or something. And now he's <laughs> using up my burners and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, <laughs> you have this famous, amazing uh... kitchen you all let me, ah, oh, it was so infuriating. His uh, famous uh, Swanson's Hungry Man chicken fingers or whatever. Oh my god! Uh, it was. It was like I was like, actually, I have to kick you out. I'm really sorry, man, but like inappropriate. Or go use the actual kitchen that I was planning on using that they, you know, dangled in front of me as what I would be using. Yeah, yeah. feels like the brother-in-law that. could probably get away with being inside the house. Come on, guys. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Instead, he's in the garage with me. Like, geez. Here's a note to – I know that like there's got to be a good chunk of people who listen to this who like to cook but aren't professional. If you hire a professional to come into your home, venue, whatever, right, it is not the time to show off your XYZ, right? <laughs> it is not yeah. the time to show off your XYZ. What you need to do because that person is nervous about pleasing you and doing a good job because it's their profession and all they care about is trying to do a good job for you. Stay the hell out of their way. Just stay the hell out of their way. That's all I'm going to say about that. It's like I know that you're probably a great cook or bartender or whatever it is. You know what I mean? It's just you've hired someone to do that. You need to let them do that. You agree with me on this, Frankie? I'm, you are dead on, and I, and I know that you would be, and John would be, and anyone who has worked back of house or done any catering uh, would agree with that as well, yeah. Yeah. Here's another thing. I'm sure there's someone listening here and, and knows what Frankie said. It was hot as hell, and he couldn't control the situation because the lady was high on drugs and was becoming unreasonable. Now, this kind of stuff happens. If you're about to do your first catering thing or you're changing your job or whatever – Planning an away game, i.e. cooking not in your own kitchen for the very first time, oh boy, are you in for a treat. Uh, And by that, I mean your life is about to become a living hell. Uh, Mm -hmm. don't Don't cook stuff that is the stuff that you would cook if you're at home. Think bulletproof. I mean this. Think. I think I know what you were referring to before, and this was, again, cooking in someone else's house. Yeah, yeah, I, you know, yeah. I negotiated with this other woman, very, very wealthy. Like her husband ran, ran, uh, you know, uh, one of these fun things with hedges. Yeah, yeah, it is. yeah. Um, and and she's nego- She's like giving me all this trouble about this. Like, I just want to hire someone to help me for two hundred and fifty bucks to like run from the kitchen back and forth. And then she's like, "And your fee's too high because four of the people are." They're just kids. Anyway, the four kids turned out to be six foot five teenagers that eat three times more than the average human. Um, everybody wants everything, you know, differently and, I, and, and more of it. And then the best was as these things are coming back because she wants two degrees more on, you know, a steak or whatever. She, she then goes, 
and can you refill our water glasses? They're all empty. And I'm like, that's what the $250 was for. Like, I, I need that Gumby emoji because it's weak and I also need to be in six places at once. Yeah, I find that like a lot of people don't appreciate the work that other people do. You know what I mean? Like they just don't, they don't Definitely. get it. They don't get it. Uh, but here's some, like for instance, uh, it's coming up on summertime. You're going to do an event somewhere. Don't do ice cream. Don't do it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, like I don't, uh, I don't care that you think you can do it because you know what's going to happen? Uh, the freezer's going to go down. I guarantee it. Freezer's going to go down. Uh, there'll be a wedding cake yep. in the freezer and you can't use it. Something. You will get hosed. Like, if you are counting on something happening, you'll get co- – like, don't – like, that thing that you like to cook that's only good when it's piping hot, don't make that thing. Don't make that thing. M- make something that's going to taste good uh, when it's been sitting around because uh, the people that maybe did or didn't get hired to uh, serve this stuff out, to run it, maybe didn't show up that day. Maybe they're high out of their mind. Uh, you know, maybe it's a teenager. Maybe – maybe whatever. Don't do that. Think yeah. bulletproof. Think bulletproof. And prepping at home is the biggest one though, Dave. Doing equipment that you know, being 90% done so you can just kind of finish things off. If anything, you just have to deal with the person who's paying you so much less and that in itself is a win, right? Yeah, right. Here's another thing. Uh, Equipment you know, also don't, don't assume. In fact, assume the opposite. You will maybe get a plug. You will not get necessarily two 15-amp circuits that are separated from each other. Never assume you are going to get two 15-amp circuits. Plan your whole life around if you need to bring picnic burners, if you, whatever you need to do. Just don't plan on, even if they swear on a stack of Bibles that you will have the circuits that you need. Don't trust it. You won't. What do you say? You won't. You won't. And I've totally done that. Two induction burners that keep shorting the other one out. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. infuriating. Oh yeah, it's funny when it happens to somebody else at a demo. I've seen that happen many times. I was at a very famous chef's uh, place, and they were running a bunch of stuff, and they were running them off the same sockets, and they were kept on blowing out. And I'm like, <laughs> I was like so happy. I was like <laughs> secretly so stoked. You know what I mean? Um, hey, here's the thing that nobody does. In fact, my wife won't let me do it because she's an architect, right? But if I could do live my life, speaking of like setting up kitchens, like I would color code my I would color code my sockets so that I knew what circuit they were on, or put the circuit number on the socket plate. So like I, on my so this, if you're outfitting a kitchen, I said this a million times, but if you're outfitting a kitchen in a new place or if you own the place, right? So if your typical counter is like I don't know four four feet long or whatever, and if, if you're gonna have three five feet, whatever. If you're going to have three sockets, three quads, three different circuits. Now, one of them can be the same circuit that the light's on. Like one of them can be the same circuit that something else is on. Have one that's not for the really high power stuff. And this way you're never worried about it. Like, you know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? It's, you know, people, people skip that step. They get all the gear and they want to run it all at once. And uh, Mr. Circuit Breaker is like, "Uh uh-uh. And this yeah. is super important. It's the step before the step of buying all the gear that we geek over and yeah. using it. Yeah. Yeah. True story. Uh, okay. So let's talk about uh, outfitting outfitting a kitchen. What do you, what do you, what's what is your what are your basics, Frankie? What are you, what are your basics? <sighs> yeah. So listen. Obviously, it all depends on how much money someone's got, uh, how much they're willing to spend. I would say, in general, with the exception of like maybe wooden utensils and Teflon pans, everything's pretty much going to outlast you if you don't buy yeah. garbage. Um, do you but, not you know, like wooden utensils? Real- I still like a wooden spoon. 
I wooden spoon is on my list here, but I would say for the other things, like those packets of uh, six of the tools that you need where they've got like the sort of half-assed ladle and the tongs and then the spatula. I hate that stuff. They, they seem so clumsy to me. Yeah. Uh, particularly yeah. the spatulas. Like you, it's so hard to describe, but if you're in a cast iron pan, which has, you know, kind of hide sides or something, one of those spatulas is just, it's too fat to get on it to really scrape the thing off the bottom. So I would say something like a, a fish spatula or a pallet knife, Something that's just a lot more low profile and, and more flexible is, is actually going to do a better job. Um, so your first spatula is a fish spatula? Is that weird? I don't know. It's actually the palette knife first. Um, well, okay. So like uh, here, here's the other thing. It's like I'm sure most people are thinking of spatulas being like the flexible spatula. You should never buy these things as – you should buy them individually. First of all, like if you buy a crappy – like a sil- silicone or rubber spatula, it will be uh, it will be dead. It will be dead within like five months. It will it will flex and crack where the handle is inside of the rubber, and then you'll get yep. that irritating handle poking out, and it'll start flopping around. It's terrible. Uh, get a decent one of those. In fact, I think uh, I would get one of those, right? Like a decent like silicone one that now. If you're looking at a spatula, it's got one straight side, and then it's got one kind of radius edge on the uh, a, a rubber a silicone spatula. I don't. You like the scupula ones? Do you like the scupula ones, right? I don't like not, those. Not a big fan of any multi. Yeah, but no. But you know the, how some of those spatulas like have like a little, they're a little bit cuppy. I don't like that. I like them to be symmetrical on both sides. You know what I'm saying? Not not. I like the one flat and the one radius, but I don't. I don't like it to. I don't like it to be like an oyster shell. I like it to no. be. Yeah. Uh, I have found by watching my kids and and then also adults that no one who no most people have not been trained to scrape out a bowl properly with a spatula. Mm. They leave like like a whole pancake's worth of pancake in, in, in their bowl. They don't know how to use a spatula. So I they see will what do you're I'm sorry, I thought you were talking about spatulas for a pan. You're talking We're talking about, about all of them. No, we're talking about all we're talking oh, about. And you gotta have a silicon one for one of those. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Totally. But, but uh, I find that I have I have a nonstick, so I was testing it, and I had to buy a spatula for that that's made of nylon. I detest it. I, I would only use I only use steel whenever possible for those spatulas. And you're saying you'd go for a flexi one. I use a long, I use a a long like pastry spatula, like a like not offset flat, right? But long. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about for a lot of that. Uh, but I have to say, my go-to. Is probably just like an old school diner. I have an old school diner spatula I, I go for, and I also sometimes like a really stiff freaking one for like getting mm-hmm. uh, around the sides of like you know Detroit pizza and stuff. But you could get away with. I think I wouldn't go for a hyper flexible if you're going to get only one. And my problem with fish spatulas is is that they're rounded on both corners because they're worried. That, I don't know that you're going to like stab your friend or stab your fish or something. Like I, I like a little I, I like it can be flexible, but I think I need I like a corner. I don't like the hyper French rounded fish spatula just because it's it doesn't have that corner. I don't know. What do you think? I think I think what you're saying and I would agree with is that it, it's so specific to the job that you're doing, the tool that you're going to use. It's really no different than like Allen keys or whatever. You can't really make a five millimeter Allen key work in a six hole. I guess you could wrap some tape around it and then it'll kind of work, but it's also going to totally stink. So 
I, I mean, these are the these are the tools that we're using to create whatever the product is that we're making, and the right one matters for the job. And the the more you use them, the more you you realize uh, which is the right one. I'm a big fan of those stiff spatulas, also, hundred yeah. percent. I also oh, think, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here. I think people overreact a little bit with the nonstick pan stuff and metal going to it. What do you think about that? Uh, well, I'll let you know. Um, I mean, I've never had one that hasn't gotten destroyed. Even with you know a rubber I mean? spatula, right? Yeah, they always die. I don't know. I don't That's know my why. point. I don't know why. So, like, if it's disposable and has a lifespan anyway. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. Yeah, but I'm they not don't saying die as beat quickly if you use the plastic coated utensil. Uh, right? If you use the, the metal, they deteriorate uh, more quickly. Here, here, uh, yeah, but I mean, here's what I hate about the, like, if, if someone finds a good nylon spatula for nonstick, first of all, like, when you use them and then the, the front gets that crinkle heat mark on it, detest, detest. And then uh, the other thing I I, uh, I hate is a week. I have another. Uh, I have a nylon one. So for those of you, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how you're listening to this without ever having cooked. But let's say you've never cooked, right? So what you're doing is you you do the spatula and then you you turn the spatula upside down, handle down, rest on the edge of the pan for a minute while you do something else and you go back. If you do that to those cheap nylon ones over, they start curling. Yep. They start curling. Ridiculous, absurd. Um, all right, so we're talking about spat. Here's my, another thing, by the way. Like sp- spatulas are fortunately cheap, so it's not a giant outlay, right? Um, okay, I'm not just saying this to say crap on online shopping. Go to uh, a, like an actual brick and mortar store, but uh, you, these are things that you're going to use with your hands, okay? And uh, you know, there's no reason why what I like is what you should like. You need to go try some of these things. You know what I mean? You need to hold it in your hand, you know, like press on it, see whether you like the feel of it, you know, because like what you like might not be what I like, right? I'm, I'm with you. And and from this uh, this conversation, I would say probably the the outliers here of tools that people maybe haven't tried yet are the super stiff spatula. It's really good for like smash burgers and scraping things off of... Uh, not a nonstick pan, and and maybe also that um, not offset uh, palette knife. Go feel those in your hands. Feel how when you push the the utilized part of it, it totally flexes and sits flat on the surface. And and then imagine scraping that sideways under something that's only slightly stuck to like a stainless steel pan. It's amazing. I love yeah. it. Yeah, well, especially for me because I have a crepe maker, like a crampoos, and so like oh. I have one, I have a super long one that goes all the way across the crepe maker. So I'm just like, shoot, I can just put it underneath and like, pop, like all the way through and just free the whole thing. It is, it is kind of magic. Also, people, if you're cooking in your oven uh, and you need to move like individual things around in your oven, like small things, like those long things can kind of reach in and they're just yep. stiff enough to lift light stuff around. Anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, knives. Let's talk knives. People care about their knives. Yeah. What do you think? So, what's, what's, um, what would you buy first? Well, you got to get the chef's knife pairing, and weirdly, you have to have a bread knife, those three. But here's the thing that I'm telling people lately with the chef's knife. Tell me if you disagree or not. Uh, the bolster. The bolster at the end that a lot of these knives ship with. Um, over time, as you're sharpening this, and if you want this to be a tool for life, I'm finding that a, a divot forms there. And therefore, in the total sweet spot on the end of the blade is never coming in contact with the cutting board. And for me, that's just like, great, this knife is useless now. So I would say go for a bolsterless chef's knife. 
Okay, what do you think? that that is a known problem, right? Which is why like a lot of the Japanese Western ones don't don't ha- have that. Um, they can be sharpened around with enough work, but without. In other words, like if you just sharpen down and stop short, you're gonna put that little curve in, and it's gonna like go like a butcher's like if you have like an old school butcher's fillet knife where it just turns into like eventually turns into like you know this tiny thing um but uh know this people if you um if you're just starting out old school traditional like german french with the thick bolster extremely comfortable on your finger and if you buy your first Japanese, uh, well, they, I'm sure they're made everywhere now, but what I think yeah, of is like a Japanese. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. But Without like old school, what would be? Right. Uh, you're going to you're gonna build up, which is not a bad thing, but it's, it's, you're going to build up calluses. So if you like, if you get your new knife without a bolster and the first thing you decide to do is break down a bunch of pumpkins, you're going to feel it the next day. Um as uh you know even if actually if you do something like that uh you know god's love we deliver yeah so like uh fci one of the fun things we used to do is is that the staff for thanksgiving uh we would go and do prep in their in their kitchen and all of their normal prep people are like going real slow and they would bring in all the giant pumpkins from the bars and restaurants that had bought them like giant pumpkins and then they would turn them into soup right so they had to be cut, seated, and peeled. And so all of the FCI people, we're sitting there trying to race each other through these giant pumpkins to see which one of us is going to be the weakest. You know what I mean? In terms of like, you know, how, how, how slow are you with that pumpkin, you, you, you moron? You know what I mean? And they handed us these like super crappy, like, you know, like Kmart style uh, chef's knives to work with because you had to use their stuff. And man, even though like at the time I was in pretty good knife shape, I got some serious blisters on that. So if you're doing heavy work with a bolsterless knife, just make sh- just know you're going to be building up some calluses. That's all. That's all I'm saying. It's not bad, not good. You're going to build some calluses, right? I, I I've blistered through several times. Right, but do you remember the first time you ever used an, a, a bolsterless knife, like in a heavy in a heavy environment, like you feel it the next day? Oh, it, it hurts. You like literally start becoming like geriatric. You're like, oh my goodness, I thought I was invincible. I'm, I'm like totally wussing out because my, yeah. It's like if you don't ride a bike for a year and you get on a bike, you're like, you remember how to ride it, but your butt tells you the next day that you haven't been. You know what I mean? Yeah, that just happened to me recently too. Actually, yeah. probably while I was on search for the Leatherman's Cave. See? And you're like, see, yeah. I, I'm a competitive cyclist. I can handle this, but your butt's like, nah, you have to keep doing I, it. I still feel it right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... <laughs> So the other thing is, is that uh, I would definitely suggest that you get a 50-50 sharpen or you sharpen at 50-50, mm-hmm. none of these like asymmetric grinds. Your knife is only as good as how sharp you keep it. And um, I'm going to say this, most 99% of you will misuse a steel. I would say don't even have one. Like 99% of people are going to misuse that steel. Use it as a, an excuse for not sharpening. I think um, also like you can get one of those super expensive uh, sharpening setups. But um, if you do, you're rarely going to use it because they take a long time to set up. I would take the time to learn how to use... uh, I use a DMT uh, diamond stone because it doesn't require being soaked. It doesn't require being redressed. It lasts for years and years. And, you know, I can touch up a knife in like a minute and a half. And 
I can get it sharp enough by eye that it's much better than the perfect sharp I could get that I will never do because I'm never going to set up my crazy complicated sharpening system, which I also own, right? So the, the knives are only not as sharp. The, the knives aren't as good as how sharp you could make them. They are as sharp as they happen to be. And so like I would definitely get like one of the, get the don't get a weenie one, get the big one, the big DMT, like fine, extra fine. It's a lot of money and you think that it's not worth it at this point in your life, but I would early on get into sharpening. And, you know, uh, it takes a while to get decent at it. Don't worry about it, I think. Just like... Um, what I wouldn't do, I, ha I hate the double wheel sharpeners. They destroy your knives. I'm just telling you right now, if you're going to buy a cheap knife, you can get one of those double wheel sharpeners and it will, quote unquote, sharpen your knife while it's ruining it. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, that's, that's my feeling on that. What are your feelings? Eight or ten? Eight or ten what? Inch. Oh, chef. inch. Sorry. Uh, probably start with an eight just because it's a little bit more wieldy, you know, but if you're if you're comfortable with something bigger, then go for it. But... I think a lot of it depends it depends on the size of your hand and what you're used to. Like for years I was on an 8 and then I picked up a 10 and it just felt like I had a lot more control over the 10 than over the 8 because I could pull those extra 2 inches when I'm slicing down and it wasn't appreciably heavier and so like, you know, most of my close-in work is 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 close to the back end of the knife anyway, so um you know, for no, me, I was it just going to say that the big knife doesn't mean that you're cutting with the tip, and it's like no, if you little stuff that's fine work or whatever down by the heel, absolutely, and you don't even realize that you've got this big Pinocchio nose sticking out the other end. But I would agree yeah. with the extra two inches because you need to you need to do that pull to really get the the slice to to happen in a lot of situations. Yeah, but I I think it's personal. Like some people, they, they I, I, this is not like a better or worse. I think like you know again, um, you know. You're going to, if you stay in it a long time, maybe start with an eight. I frankly, and I'm going to get in trouble, like I would start, and maybe just because of the way I was raised, I would start with the traditional Western shape, maybe the bolsterless, if you if you like that. Uh, I don't know. Like, I don't know that I would start with a Santoku style. No, no. Like, By the way, that DMT sharpener, Jean, let me try that. Uh, really, really cool. And, it's and so I fast, agree, right? Yeah, and if you don't have a if you don't have a steel, or you're suggesting not to have a steel, um, but you know, by the same token, if you're suggesting the person wouldn't have a steel because they're going to misuse it, then wouldn't they probably also be misusing whatever their sharpening stone is, even though you can just touch up with that? Well, look, here's the here's the thing. So, like, I, I guess I should like if you have a traditional steel, which is literally just a piece of steel, so what it's it, with ridges on it, and it's realigning, it's realigning your edge. It's not. It's not actually sharpening. I think the problem is is that when people start actually buying the abrasive steels and then they're actually sharpening on them, I just don't think it's a good way to sharpen. I think using a steel, but like if you've ever seen a butcher, like like if they don't have, they and they need them, right? Like yep. they're using the back of their other knife as the steel, right? You know, they're like, shack, shack, shack. You ever watch a butcher? Shack, shack, shack. They use the back of the one knife to steal the other knife. Because they don't have the time to go reach for something else. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, not always, but uh, I think... Oh, so I see what you're saying. So you don't need to have one because you could literally use the back of your bread knife instead. Like, you've got a dual-purpose item there. Yeah. I mean, I mean, most people, I think, most people are, like, rather aggressive, I think, when they're pushing on their steel. I think they think their steel is doing something that it's not. I think that most people think that it's sharpening the knife and it's not. Right. 
or until they hear that yeah. and then and then yeah, yeah, yeah there's two camps there for sure but the the dmt thing is pretty amazing and it doesn't like i i have a, a whetstone that's been wrapped in a rag for i don't know a decade at this point and that thing is just you know filthy with red brick color and it makes such a mess and uh yeah it's a pain and yeah. i have to plan in advance a little bit just to soak the thing yeah, yeah. i hate that i hate that now are you gonna get like the perfect japanese edge on no but on the other no, but hand, that doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. And also, there is a, here's another secret. Your knife should always be sharpish, right? But I do take a little extra care and touch them up if I know I'm going to be doing something fancy or something that requires like super good cutting. I just do. You know what I mean? It's just just the truth. That's pride. Yeah. yeah. All right. What about uh, what about uh, equipment to buy? Oh, okay. Well, let's talk about this. I think it's important to have stacking bowls and to not put different size things inside of each other because then you're never going to use them. I also think that stuff needs to be out because if it's away, you're never going to use it. I, I like having visual, uh, yeah, the ability to visually see things. Are you talking about different size bowls stacking inside of each other like the Russian dolls? I hate that so no much. Good? Yeah, I hate, I hate that too. I prefer the same size stuff. Um, maybe yeah, like, same on same. Like, same on same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like steel, steel bowls, like you get a bunch of the small ones, you get a bunch of the medium ones and maybe like, I don't know. I've always been a fan of like two really big salad bowls. And like again, like if you're in a small like hotel, kitchen, big ah, dude, I love them. Come on. Popcorn, French fries. They're so good. Like a salad bowl. You could serve, like you could bathe a child in like, like big old salad bowl. Really, really big salad bowl. Like there's nothing more frustrating to me when you're making a salad, you're putting it in that wooden serving bowl. It hasn't been dressed yet. It's to the top and you have no room to get everything like homogeneously covered by the by the dressing, this is you, a good you need tip, a people. bigger space. Don't listen, 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 listen. When so like I have one, two, three, four, maybe five sizes of stainless bowl, and I have like six of each, and they stack the thin, cheap ones, right? The ones that sound mm-hmm. like ping when you hit them. Winco, they're super cheap. Yeah, Winco, Winco brand, and uh, so. Like, go for the bigger one. Always. Why? Because you're going to be tossing stuff, and what's more irritating than having stuff fly out of the bowl when you're tossing it around? Because you're not going to serve it in that, are you? You Like, keep your service ware separate from your stainless cooking ware. There's separate ideas. Better. Yeah. Yeah. Toss it in I'm the I'm also bowl. a fan of, like, uh, those serving spoons, you know, those, like, oversized spoons. I think that's really helpful for basting, for even, you know, picking up a little steak in the pan and flipping it over. Again, just something a little more precise and you can get in with your left hand and the spoon underneath, flip it over. I think those are, I think those are great. I love that. Wait, but which, which, which format? Like the, the, the thin, like semi-cupped ones that you can't really get soup with, but like they're good for like, like pasta sauce? I, which ones I are you talking about? I didn't even know there were different kinds. I just, it, it's literally like if you took a, a standard spoon and enlarged it by 4X. Yeah. No, I I have like a couple like really thin punched ones that I like for, for you know, punched out ones of cooking. And you also need some slotted. You need a good, decent spider for oh, draining. Totally. and totally. Big decent. fan of that. Uh, if you're not going to buy a colander, get a decent salad spinner that you can use the inside as a colander because that's how you should be washing all your veg. So a salad spinner sounds like something you shouldn't have, but on the other hand, like, I don't know. You need a colander anyway, so it might as well also hold water. What do you think about this? I think that's a really smart way of getting two in one. The only thing I would say is, uh, and I don't know the exact temperatures of this, but maybe you probably do. Um, if you're pouring like super hot pasta through a salad 
spinner's inner lining to separate the water from the pasta, is that too hot a temperature for that plastic? Well, that's a good question. I mean, I've been doing it forever. Uh, I don't know. And you're I mean, still I, walking. I, I'm still walking. So like, you know, I, that's definitely the way. I, now listen, people, take the colander out of the salad spinner before you pour it. Otherwise, what, what, what's wrong with you? You know what I mean? Like, but using <laughs> it as a colander, I think it, it, it's, a, it's a good move. This is why I think you buy a decent salad spinner, uh, like a, a large enough one. I only make salad for one half of a person. So I'm going to buy a salad spinner that no, holds one better. leaf. No, no, bigger's no. better. I mean, don't go bigger's crazy, but better. bigger's better. And also, uh, I like stainless bowl salad spinners because uh, they will crack. They will crack. If you get one that's uh, plastic, it will crack sooner rather than later. And another thing about salad spinners, uh, don't leave the water in them and put the cover back on. They will turn into filth machines. Like you're going <laughs> to leave some swampy little piece of lettuce in there with the water, with the cover on. Filth machine. Filth. Yeah, gross. Uh, what about, what Sargon, about equipment? Sargon the in the chat wants to know, why doesn't the spins all have a version with little holes in the rotor so that you can use it to spin salad? Why? I'll tell you why. Because we could barely. Are get you the making salad in China. For ants? We <laughs> needs to be at least three times this big. Uh, listen, I've said this before, and I said it again. Those of you out there who rated Zoolander two as not a good movie are idiots. Because if you liked Zoolander one, it is basically the same. And people's reviews were like, um, "Well, it's like ten years later, and it's the same. So it's the same. If you liked it before, why wouldn't you like it now?" Right. Right. Anyway. Zoolander 2. Anyway. Uh, we got like five minutes, so you got to uh, pick, pick up, your up, top hits. So we didn't, we didn't do it simply because we, we can barely get, and right now can't get the factory to build the standard one, but I want to build a rotor for it that can be used for uh, like centrifugal filtering. So do I want to do mm. that? Yeah. Let's see if I can get them to build a regular one first. Right, Stas? Yes. Because we can't get them to do, you know, even do that. All right. So equipment. What, do you, what, what are your thoughts for first, first, first piece of equipment you would buy? First one. Uh, listen, you got to have some kind of a frying pan. I know everybody says just go get a cast iron skillet. I'm a fan of that. Um, I would say like if you just want to level that up slightly, I'm becoming a fan of the carbon steel pans because you still have that ability to just like heat the heck out of it. And yes, it's got a little bit less heat retention, but it's also lighter. Those, those, those cast iron pans are really freaking heavy, man. And I like pan tossing. It's like a fun thing to do. So yeah, uh, I'm, a, I, I'm a fan of that, you know? I think the cast iron... Like, honestly, the best way to find a cast iron is go to a flea market or a thrift store. Yeah, they're smoother. And they, they're better. Like, get one that's, like, 50 years old. Like, my mm -hmm. favorite one is, like, I don't even know how old it is. I mean, it. I, I've been using it for 25, 30 years now. And, um, you know, it was really old when I bought it. So, like, uh, you know, I think that that's good. I, I, I like – I. I have to say, like the standard all clad style stainless, just because it's easy to clean, easy to deal with. They're not nonstick, but they do like a lot of the stuff. Get here's the thing. Uh, don't. What about made in? Have you tried that? No, I have not. I gotta I tell hear you, they're, I hear like, they're good. I, I bought a couple. They're yeah, man. It's totally. Well, so what's all different? All clad's got some competition. What's different? I, I think it's pretty much the same thing. It's just cheaper. It's still made in the right. U.S. Right. Um. Here's a, a mistake people make. Do, uh, plastic handles. I, I don't like plastic handles. I like that's a mistake. Yeah, I was just trying to fill in the words oh, yeah. for you there. Uh, yeah, no, like uh, you buy a, a, a pan and you think that by buying a bigger pan that you've somehow increased the size of your burner. You have not. Yeah, true. Uh, so people who people who have like itty bitty burner 
and then they put like a giant fry pan on it uh-uh. or like you know like a like a like a like a giant like a you know braising or big sawtooth thing like not going to work out for you you can stick no. a giant stock pot on because what the hell right get don't spend a lot don't spend a lot of money right away on a stock pot don't right <laughs> don't assume here's a, if you need to do some good saute work in in your in your in your pot right um then uh, do that in your in your nice frying pan, and then deglaze the frying pan, and then put it into your stock pot. But like yeah. like the th- the thing that you boil pasta in, the thing that you do that, it as long as it holds water, it's good. And let me tell you another little secret. Everyone worries about how conductive it is. Uh, you know what conducts a lot better than uh, your food? Any water. pan you have. Well, else, yeah, no. any pan you have. Is going to be a better conductor. Is is it's any pan you have is not going to be the limiting rate of how fast you boil water. Mm. Not covering it's going to be the limiting rate. But like if you're having like the, those thin stainless steel, pan, I, I, sometimes I would stay away from uh, the all aluminum ones because they get real pitted and they can get nasty and they they dent. And then if you put it in your dishwasher, they get all those weird things and they can have issues. No, they suck. I'm not a fan. Yeah, but like they, you don't have to get it. Like your big pot doesn't have to be expensive. It can be cheap. You agree with me on this? I, I 100% agree with you on that. And also just most people have a four burner stove. You put a giant stock pocket on it and, and now all of a sudden the other three have been encroached upon and you're going to be off center with any other pan you use, which is incredibly annoying. Right, right. Uh, for For oven, for inside your oven... I would just I would buy a bunch of uh, uh, I mean half most people can can't yeah half sheets uh, yeah. if your oven can fit a full sheet get some full sheets you you want more half sheets than you think yeah. um, good for and, even prepping food out right chopping a bunch of Brussels sprouts in half before you blanch them and then roast them I mean it's just great to have it out there rather than on the counter it's nice to have them laid all out then instead of a bowl and stuff like that I, I'm a big fan of them for all stages of cooking. Yeah, I would also and like if you've ever hung out with like like pros who are neat, right? Get like uh, get some quarters. I have a bunch, I have some quarter pans, and you're mm-hmm. like, why don't you need a quarter pan? Trust me, get some quarters. I have quarters, and then I have even the size that's it's down from that, and I have quarter size cooling racks, and I have a couple of halves. And so then what you're doing is that when you when you instead of putting filth on your stovetop next to where your pan is when you're working, you have your little quarter, which has your portions on it, and then it can even have a cooling rack in if it needs to drip, if you're doing like a chicken or something like this, and you can go in and out very neatly. I'm also pro-tong, by the way. I'm pro-tong also, but I'm also a fan of, uh, I mean, it's so annoying to say this, but I really think the little tweezers have some use. Not for pretentiously putting, um, you know, microgreens on at the end, but for actually like, trying individual pieces of things as they're cooking. Nothing is easier to grab a single spaghetto out of the pasta water while it's boiling than, than a little tweezer. It's hard with tongs, you know, and wait, you wait. want to see where it's at cooking wise, or if you've got like some beets that are uh, brinoise really small, I mean, you can go in with a spoon and take 10 of them, or you can just grab one little one and see where it's done cooked wise. Are you going to overcook it like the French? Or are you going to have that, you know, al dente thing of the Americans? It all depends on how long it's in the pan. That means you've got to try it. And you don't want to eat to all say, your product uh, before it's done, so boom, tweezer. Uh, I don't know. I'll think no, about it. No, not a fan? I, I don't know. I'll think about I agree it. Agree to disagree. This? I, I'm not a disagree. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's just not like, you know, it's just not where my life is. I, I, could, I could try it and see what I think. 
I'm not disagreeing yet because I don't have any. Uh, I, I do. It is like doing the pasta dance, though, where you take the spoon, which is why you should have a slide spoon, and you try to get that one thing out, oh, and then you jig, jiggle it around, and you grab it, and it's burning your hand, and then you put it, and you burn your lip. Oh, get a cake tester. Why? Why? I don't bake cakes. Why should I have a cake tester? Because that's how everyone actually checks the temperature of meat. No one's actually taking a giant thermometer and shoving it through their piece of meat. You stick the cake tester. Really, you can use the tip of your paring knife, right? You can... Like, honestly, you can use the tip of your paring knife, but a cake tester is useful. And then you, you test for the warmth against your bottom lip. Everyone know this trick? Do we all know this trick? Yeah. Uh, cake tester is a good thing to have. Time. Yeah. He's the poster boy for it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like uh, the, your lower lip is extremely sensitive to temperature. And so uh, you, can, you can cake test, put the little cake tester in, and then pull it out and basically know whether you've heated the sucker through and that is let's let's say this dave if you're gonna get a cake tester to temp meat and put it against your lower lip then you should also be in the camp of bolsterless knives because both of these things cause uh, physical harm to you (laughs) i guess i don't know but like i just think the cake tester is something people don't think of all right what's the first motorized thing do you first buy a cuisinart or do you first buy and by the way i don't care what brand of cuisinart you buy right, right, uh right. or or i only buy roboku i only buy the breville brand food processor don't care you all know what i'm talking about yep. and by the way you're not going to use those attachments nine out of ten times you're yep. not going to use any of those maybe you'll use a shredding thing the shredder once. one's good for like making a nice yeah. roasty yeah yeah all right maybe you'll use that but you don't so need gonna, any other things you're going to ask blender or uh cuisinart well, it's blender, a tough one because... or, or or stand mixer. Oh, Those stand mixer is last on the list for sure with me. I mean, that's just like if you're baking a ton of cakes and things like that. Uh, I mean, you could probably. I mean, I use my stand mixer the most. I use it the most. However, I could be doing a lot of that work in the Cuisinart if I wanted to. So I'm going to go blender first because I, I I make a lot of shakes. I like blending things up. I mean, but then when you get to things like pestos, it just makes more sense to have that wider base that the Cuisinart has. But you can make a pesto in a blender, even with that that narrow, uh, you know, thing at the bottom. You just have to add more liquid. Cold water seems to work fine. In general, water makes everything go around and then it kind of evaporates off anyway. I mean, I would never give up my Vita Prep, but if they're expensive and I would rather... If it was between a cheap blender, or a Cuisinart, I would a, I'd go Cuisinart. Yeah, I go Cuisinart and a stick blender. I go Cuisinart and a ah, stick. That's that's actually the right answer. This was a trick question. Yep, the stick yeah. blender is pretty damn good. And, and then you can get one for like twenty bucks. Yeah, and then I would get a. I mean, I like the thing about a KitchenAid is it's a good investment. Like you should all eventually, at some point, even if you have no desire to, get married so that someone will give you a KitchenAid. <laughs> and then, um, you know, to whomever, sure it has whatever. Its own 15 amp circuit. Yeah. And then your KitchenAid, that, you know, that, that'll last you, uh, uh, you know, whatever. I like, my mom still has hers from the 70s, although she now has a newer one too. Like, you know, you'll use one of those forever. Get the big, get the bigger one. Even Nastasia yeah, likes a KitchenAid, right, Stas? Yes. Yeah. Although most of the attachments, I don't use them. I have a lot of them. I don't use them because most of Pasta them are no good. one's pretty good. Oh, the rollers? Yeah. Yeah. You know why? Uh, because if you're going to make pasta, uh, you know what you want? Both hands. Yeah, no kidding. You don't, you don't want one hand on a crank. And what, Even you, though it we, looks incredibly quaint. Oh, yeah, it does. It does. You, you should all go look at, at Giuliano Bugiali's uh, old books where he makes the pasta. And the look on that man's face when he has the pasta coming out of the roller, 
Like, that's all you need. Like, if you, and to know what a curmudgeon that guy was in the real life, and then, like, to see the joy he has on his face when that pasta's coming out of the thing, and he's got that, he's got that, co- you know how, like, so, so imagine, if you will, here I am, uh, my right hand's on the, on the, on the pasta crank, and then the left hand is guiding the cut pasta up. I don't know how he's guiding the uncut side yet, but he's guiding the pasta up, and then he just raises that shoulder slightly, and then gives you the, I, I have whoop. one of those books I I inherited yeah. it from my grandfather, Bujali on Pasta. And it's got oh. so many pretentious Italian things in there that I love. You know, he's talking about like oil-based sauces and everything. And you should never put cheese on any oil-based sauce because dude, one doesn't do that. Dude was, was like, really like that. The dude was crazy. Like he was, uh, he was, uh, I would ask him questions. So I was like, you know, like really like very well-respected New York chefs. I was like, have you had this? Yes. Do you like it? No. No. Like 100% of the time. He'd be like, yep. no. And he's like, it's not not traditional. But what's interesting about uh, Bujali, in, and again, he just passed, I think, a year ago, uh, or maybe two or three, I don't remember, recently. And, uh, you know, he came of age in an era of complete food debasement in this country. Now, not in Florence, right, where he's from, but complete debasement of food in in this country. And he was focused on uh, tradition and authenticity, which is interesting because I think, you know, the generation today, I think, understands that uh, that authenticity itself is a myth, that like all, all of these foods are in constant flux. And so mm-hmm. to say that there is one tradition or one authentic thing, well, there's something that's authentic to the way my grandmother made it, right? But it's not necessarily, but you know, she made it differently from probably her great grandmother. Very few recipes are actually passed unchanged for hundreds and hundreds of years. And he was a historian, so he did know the, the history of it. But like, I think we've all gone, gotten past this concept of, uh, of the authentic X, Y, or Z. You know what I mean? At least I, I hope we have. I, I, I don't totally know. understand what you're trying to articulate. It is a, yeah, that's definitely, yep. No, right, wait, wait, John, before we go, did we have any questions specifically for Frankie? Because I didn't make it to the end of the... We end didn't of, talk about Novak, really. <laughs> uh, it was difficult cooking for him. No, I know. But I will tell you I, something really interesting about him. All of the nuts, because he's totally vegan, all the nuts, uh, he, he makes sure that they are soaked uh, for at least 12 hours and then slightly dehydrated with the idea being that part of the digestion, part of the breaking down of that nut is happening outside of the body and therefore he's using less energy to break it down in his body, conserving more energy for the next match. So that's the yeah, kind of stuff we were dealing with. I know, yeah, I know. Whatever, whatever, man. He's a pro. He can do what he wants. He's so rich. You know, Number he, one he in can, the world. He can Tom Brady it. He can you know not eat eggplant or whatever in the hell else Tom Brady doesn't do. So this show is for Laughing Cow who asked many, many moons ago, any res- hey Dave, any resource you can point me to for cookware recommendations for starters? That's why we have Frankie on for the show. Uh, so uh, Jenny Girl wanted to know when your cookbook's coming out. Your show is the best cooking show in a long, long time. Jenny Girl says to you. Thank you, Frankie. That's very yeah. sweet. Uh, and then I'll leave this. Uh, uh, Han-, like, Han H or Helga via Instagram asks, "Why are bagels so hard to make? Where can I listen? Listen." Hannah, they're actually not that hard to make. I'll I tell agree. you a secret. I'll tell you a secret. Everyone worries about getting maltose, which is hard to get. You don't actually need malt to make bagels. It's an extra. And uh, the reason they use malt is what's called a reducing sugar. So you can either put malt into the recipe itself or you can put malt uh, into the boiling water. Um, but 
it's kind of hard to get the one that you want. You don't need to worry about it. Uh, you know what has reducing sugar? Honey has some reducing sugars in it because it's been inverted. So it's more reducing than sucrose. So you can substitute a little bit of honey if you want. You just have it there. Makes your life easy. I would also, if you're having trouble with your bagels browning, I would add about a percent of baking soda to your boiling water. Now, a lot of people are going to say it's not traditional, but they can go suck it because what I'm telling you is, is that it's going to make a better bagel. Uh, cook uh, when you boil your bagels and do boil your bagels. Boil your bagels for about 30 seconds on each side. Um, don't crazy overproof them. And here's another secret. Everyone is jacked up on their high hydration breads. Bagels are not a high hydration bread. Keep it down to like... 65% hydration, so six. So for every kilo of flour, and use a decent kind of bready flour for it. Although I make mine with whole wheat, like because that's what I do all the time. Even though Nastasia hates the fact that I grind whole wheat, uh, she hates it. It's the thing about me that she hates. Well, no, she hates many things about me, but that's one of the things she hates about me. <laughs> Jeez, uh, man, self-deprecating podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but um, about 65. So for every kilo of flour, use uh, 650 grams of water. Uh, you're, you know, people do let their bagels sit around a long time. I don't know that it's going to get that much extra stuff, especially if you're seeding up the outside. So I wouldn't worry about over-yeasting it. Uh, make sure you have about 2.2% of salt. Uh, and don't make them too dang big, right? The, so they're not... The, the honey in the boiling water is big. They do that in uh, yeah. Montreal. That's, I'm a fan of that too. How about maple syrup? Is that a good reduction sugar? Uh, well, that's the thing. So like that's mostly sucrose. It hasn't been inverted. So if you can find stuff that's inverted, you could, but you really want something that's been either inverted. So I would just stick with honey, um, especially because most of us have it. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. Watch Dave's Instagram after this. He's erecting, he's doing a TP erection. Uh, that sounds really bad, Nastasia. So Nastasia is deciding. So Nastasia has had a TP shipped to her Stanford hidey hole and uh, so, so check on, keep checking the coastline of Stanford to no see on Google way. Maps to no see whether or not you can find Nastasia's no teepee. No but the reason that we're doing this show here is because Nastasia has decided that for business purposes, it's best if John and I are here to help her erect her teepee, which again still sounds really gross. <laughs> and you uh, always she's wanted got, to do a teepee erection. I have a. Did you keep saying TP erection? Well, that's what it is. That's the act of erecting uh, yeah, a TP. I mean, the TP erection. Can't you just say I'm going to put up a TP? No way around no. it. No. Can you and in combine the morning, it? You are aroused from bed. Oh, jeez, Louise. Okay. So we're going to try to Instagram live it. Well, why are you talking to your microphone? You're recording. Oh. <laughs> oh God! Pray for our backups, people. Pray for our backups. Frankie, thanks so much for coming on. Find that leather man cave, Cooking Issues. Cooking Issues is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.